Uh, those of you who have, like me, moved to Rhode Island at some point in your life, you have probably had this common experience that many of us have when we first get here. And that is you are trying to make your way from one place to another and you are suddenly, hopelessly, and utterly lost. Because this is not an easy place to navigate. Maybe those of you who are locals that have been here your whole life, this is not a big deal. I understand what you're talking about. It's as easy as could be. But this is not an easy place to get your way around, okay? Uh, my dad always brags about this. This is a map of the city of Omaha. And if you notice, this is where my dad grew up. Uh, if you notice, this map is pretty easy to follow, right? It is largely a grid, a square grid. Everything is one block. The streets are numbered from one to whatever, going from east to west. And then even, it's not perfect, but you'll notice most of the streets are alphabetical. Uh, we have Chicago, Davenport, Capital got snuck in there somehow, but Chicago, Davenport, Dodge, Douglas, Farnham, Harney, Howard, Jackson, Jones, Leavenworth, right? Boom, 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 boom. They are in alphabetical order. So if you're on... 10th Street in Jackson, and you've got to get to 15th and Leavenworth, you can basically in your head go, oh, that's however many blocks, right? Because it's just the grid. Easy to get your way around. This is a map of the city of Boston. Uh, as you will notice, it's kind of a spoke in a wheel. There's lots of just chaos here. There's, there's alleys that go nowhere. There are streets that are clearly designed for horses. Back Bay is lovely. Yeah, I did notice. Is that Was that developed later, or how did it get that? That's amazing, right? But the rest of this is what we're dealing with constantly. Uh, when we moved here, I still get lost every time I go to Pawtucket. I cannot go into and out of Pawtucket without getting lost in some way, shape, or form. Uh, this thing where we have entrance ramps, but not exit ramps, or exit ramps, but not entrance ramps, right? Like you can get off the freeway here, but you can't get back on. All of these things are terribly frustrating and confusing. And I remember when Fran and I first moved, we would just park in a lot like this and pull out our phones and go, where are we? How do we end up this direction? Why does this road go north and then go east and then back north and then go west suddenly? You know, like none of this makes any sense. The only way this happens is if you let cows pick your road paths, which I think is largely how this happened like 300 years ago, right? And it's a frustrating experience to think you're trying to go somewhere and then all of a sudden you go on all these detours and all these roundabout ways and you are just not sure what's going on. And it's a lot of times how we kind of feel about life. We think in our minds, and we are trained as kids, if you play Life, the video game, or the video game, Life, the board game, right? It has one direction. This is really easy. Like, there is a path that you follow, and maybe it goes around the board, but it just goes one direction, right? And it's real easy to keep track of. And we're kind of trained by our society, by our, our parents, by our culture, by the media, whatever it is, that your life is a straight and narrow boom. You know, you find some kind of calling as an 18-year-old and then go to college and get a degree in that and then get a job in that and then move up the ladder and get really successful and become a wealthy person and then die, right? You know, there's some kind of general direction. And most of us have been in those places where suddenly there's those detours 
And it can be really disorienting. And a lot of times, if you have faith, if you're a person that believes in God and God's guidance of your life, it gets even more frustrating. God, why is this so twisted? I thought you were in charge here. Why is it that you've got me on this one-way road that I can't turn around, divided freeway, weird mess, right? Why does my life feel more like Boston than Omaha? And it's a common feeling, I think, and it's one that even Jesus and his family experienced really early. Um, If you've been, if you were with us last week, you know we've started this series on Matthew. And we're just doing one story a week from the book of Matthew, a chapter at a time. We won't hit all the stories. I I think I'm pushing it, doing a 28-week sermon series. I figured doing like a 59-week sermon series would just really kill you. And so we're going to do one chapter a week. And this week we're in chapter two. We're still in these stories about Jesus as a little child. Uh, And we learn the extraordinary circumstances that Jesus grows up in. Matthew 2, verse 13. When the Magi had gone, the wise men as we call them, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod, the king, is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then, uh, <clears throat> then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Uh, have you noticed that this one, this part usually kind of doesn't make it into the Christmas carols, right? Like when we do the nice sweet little pageants, um, there's no ceremonial killing of the babies that happens as part of those pageants. Um, Nobody sets up their nativity scene with like the trough filled with the blood of infants, right? This is not something we generally go to because this is so terrible and horrifying that it just doesn't fit nicely into a Hallmark-designed holiday decoration, right? And I think that it's illustrative to us that we don't see that in those things. Um, Because it tells us a little bit about how we think the world should be. It tells us a little bit about the things we accept and we don't accept, the things that we try to forget, the way that our stories are so much more unbalanced and so much kind of happier and faker and almost saccharine compared to the real story of what God's doing in the world. This is a terrible moment that happens in the midst of what should be this joyous time. Jesus' early life is not easy. Jesus and Joseph and Mary do not have a straight line kind of life. They don't just easily glide from one phase to the next. Uh, Yesterday we had a baby shower, right, here at the church building. Um, Mary got lovely gifts from the wise men, but um, she did not pick out her crib and paint the walls of Jesus' room and then get to settle him into it and raise him in that lovely environment. 
Instead, she escaped in the middle of the night to go be a refugee in Egypt. And that is at the core of how Jesus grew up. When Jesus was a toddler, he was living in a foreign land trying to avoid being killed by a king who has lost his mind. Um, there's also, it's really important for us. It feels like a side note, but I think it's really interesting and important. Uh, we talked about how Matthew gives us this upside down kingdom, this version of Jesus that isn't the Jesus you expect. Uh, notice how in this text, Jesus is so much like Moses and also the opposite of Moses. Right? This is Matthew's MO. He wants you to see that he is the promised servant who Moses told us about in Deuteronomy. When Moses said, there will come one like me who will lead the people. Jesus is that one like Moses. Inasmuch as a baby, he escapes from the wrath of the king. You remember the story probably from seeing, you know, king of Egypt, prince of Egypt, or one of these, uh, or Charlton Heston or whatever, where the baby Moses is put in the basket and floated down the river. So he avoids a similar kind of genocide situation. And Jesus goes through that same thing. But it's flipped on its head, whereas Moses grew up in a foreign, hostile environment and then eventually left and escaped in Exodus to the promised land of God's people. Jesus is born where God's people are from, where David was born, and he is exiled by God's own people and finds comfort and solace in a foreign country. And in that way, it's the Moses story again, but flipped on its head. It shows you how hostile the world has become. That whereas Moses understandably, understandably, understandably had, um, understandably had this conflict in Egypt, and then moved to God's promised land, Jesus is born into conflict in God's promised land and escapes to the comfort of foreign people. This is a foreshadowing of the way that the kingdom is going to open in radical new ways. I think if I was a first century Jewish listener, the idea that the um, quote unquote Jewish King Herod, they would probably debate that amount. But this Jewish King Herod is the one that is forcing Jesus out and the foreigners are the one that accepts him. We kind of bristle against my nationalistic pride, right? Uh, Herod, there was a famous... How is this is just a fun fact. I'm getting distracted now. Best quote about Herod ever is that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son because Herod had a tendency to kill his children and over fear they would overthrow him. But he wanted to look like a devout Jew so he would never slaughter a pig. And so they always said that Herod's pigs were safer than his children. And this is the kind of man that Jesus runs away from. Uh, a little further in chapter 2. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Um, Matthew wants us to look at this through the eyes of Joseph. It's really interesting. Matthew's gospel kind of tells this story through Joseph's eyes. Luke tends to tell it through Mary's eyes. Um, that's partially because of Luke's theological focus on women. 
But um, here, Matthew has kind of focused on what this looks like for Joseph. And as we talk about life and that feeling that life is kind of serpentine and confusing and not going in a straight direction, and why is my life so confusing and weird? If you put yourself in Joseph's shoes, that has to feel that way. Here he is, engaged to a lovely girl, about to get married, and he's thinking about starting a family and having kids and all this stuff. And then what follows is, I'm pregnant and it's not your baby. Don't worry, it's the Holy Spirit's baby. Hey, we have to go to Bethlehem to be counted. Oh, hey, you need to live as a refugee in Egypt. Oh, now you can come back and live in Bethlehem. Oh, wait a second, it's still not safe in Bethlehem. Let's make that Nazareth, which is a back hole, back country, hole-in-the-wall, nothing place, all right? For us, it would be like rural Mississippi. Sorry, Mississippi. It's just the first one that comes to mind, right? I mean, that is what it would feel like. And Joseph is like, you know, a couple of years ago, all I want to do is get married, start a house, and have a couple kids. And now I'm running all around the globe trying to keep alive, raising a child that's not even my own. I think this is something we forget sometimes because Joseph from the text seems to be such a hero that he doesn't even care. Can you imagine? Okay, raising kids isn't always fun. Some of us are experiencing this right now, right? They cry, they scream, they wake up in the middle of the night, they throw fits and tantrums. And, you know, when it's your kid, you're like, oh, I love this little sack of poop, you know, but, but they're, they are annoying, Imagine being told that all those late night wake ups and all those diapers and all that stuff was for a child that's not even your son that your wife had. Okay, and no matter how much Holy Spirit is thrown into that situation, it's still got to be frustrating and weird. I promise you that is not how Joseph thought his life was going to work out. That he was going to be with a three year old trying to immigrate from Egypt with a child that wasn't his own. Because life was not easy and straight. That's not the family that Jesus grew up in. If you have spent your life feeling like, you know, my family's really messed up and nothing ever seems to work out, and other people have families where everything goes the way it's supposed to, your family is like Jesus, theirs is not. Because that is the world that Jesus grew up in. Um... There's a few things that I want to kind of pull out of this. I mean, we've talked a lot about the text here, but I do want to make a few um, points that I think will be helpful for us. The first that I've already kind of been hammering home is that your life is often not going to be a straight line, and that's really okay. It is not a sign of God's absence in your life if things aren't easy and sequential and in order. In fact, often the disruptions are the examples that God is working and doing things and forcing you to do it his way and not your way. And what Jesus tells us is that it's okay when you have those hard times. We've had moments, I mean, I know people in this church, there have been times where jobs have ended more quickly than we expected them to end. There are times when we have had babies out of the blue that we were um, not expecting, and there's times we had babies we were expecting that didn't come. We've seen house fires, natural disasters, all kinds of things that shake up life. And it's really easy to go, oh, my life is such a mess. Why has God abandoned me? And this story says, no, no, no. 
God entered into that exact situation and lived exactly that way because he wanted to show you that the twists and the turns can not only be survived, but you can thrive through them. And so it tells us that we don't need to worry so much. When we have these weird moments, it's like, why isn't this a straight line? Don't worry about it. It's not going to be a straight line, and that's all right. Also, as a very subtle side point for us parents, if you are freaked out about raising your kids and doing it well, you are giving them a more stable and comfortable environment than the Son of God had, okay? Jesus worked out pretty well, okay? As an adult, he turned into a pretty good person, right? And he did not have the best preschool in the world or a beautiful, you know, nursery or whatever that other stuff is that we freak out about. And he still turned out just fine, okay? And so don't worry so much. <laughs> uh, the second point we need to talk about um, it's a little more pointed than I like to be in a sermon, but I think the text and the times demand it. Your Lord and Savior grew up as a refugee. To be real clear, the text says that Joseph woke in the middle of the night and fled to Egypt. I promise you he did not fill out proper immigration paperwork before he did that. Jesus lived as a refugee, as an illegal immigrant, if you want to use that language, in a foreign land in Egypt. And we have a lot of trouble with those issues right now, right? We've got Syrians flooding into Europe and the, the continent's trying to figure out what to do with it. And then as a country, we're trying to figure out what to do in response. We have situations now where children and families are being separated at our border. And I don't want to tell you what you've got to think about that, but I want to tell you the, emo so the thing that you've got to have, and that is mercy and compassion. Because when you look at the face of a little immigrant child, you are looking at the face of Jesus Christ. He grew up that way. He showed up at a border being chased for his life and said, please, dear God, take me to your country. And the Egyptians of the first century were good enough to take him. So maybe I am being a little more pointed. Sorry. Right? This is the life that Jesus lived. And you cannot go about this coldly as if, well, you know, it's their own fault. Well, was it Jesus' fault? The reality is we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are literally running for their lives in the world that we live in. And we have to know how to deal with that with compassion and kindness and love. Because the reality is a lot of these people are in the same spot that Jesus was. That he literally just was running for his life. Um, my hope with that is just to encourage us to be merciful and have a little less judgment. Okay, let's try to broaden this point back out, okay? Um, it is easy when someone's in a certain place in life or in a certain situation for us to be like, well, how'd you get yourself here, right? Imagine the Egyptians in the village when Joseph and Mary get in and like, what are you here for? And they're like, well, we just had this issue and um, the, the king was trying to kill our child. Sure, king killing your child excuse, I see, right? You know, like it would have been very easy to look down on jo Joseph and Mary and what was going on with them. And I think this passage suggests to us that not only is life kind of 
curvy sometimes, but when you come in contact with someone whose life is that way, you should not sit in judgment on it before you understand it a little bit. We tend to think that when people have messed up, serpentine, difficult lives, that it's obviously their fault because I don't have a serpentine life, and so I must be a good person. They must be a bad person, right? This is the way we kind of do it in our minds. And this story tells us, no, even Jesus had times where he was suffering and needed help and was in a situation that was not fun for anybody. And he doesn't deserve judgment. He deserves mercy and he deserves compassion. Um, my final point, uh, be flexible, all right? In reality, there are going to be moments where stuff's going to happen that you're really not going to enjoy. Um, there's kind of this, this, this double, Joseph does this really interesting thing with his life, okay? For one, he, um, we talked about this a few weeks ago in our theology chat and about God's will and what, when you, what happens when you get resistance. Does that mean it's not God's will or does it just mean you need to keep going? Notice what Joseph does here. First of all, Joseph will make a change. When God comes and says, hey, go to Egypt, he doesn't go, no, I'm going to tough it out right here in Bethlehem, right? He is willing to change. But there's also this um, resoluteness about Joseph, that he's going to continue to raise this child and be good to his family and support them, right? Sometimes we tell people that you can be one of two things. We think there are people who are fickle and flexible, right? So people who change their mind all the time but are willing to change their mind. Or there's people who are stubborn and stable. And so we force ourselves in this weird dichotomy. I'm going to be flexible and fickle or I'm going to be stubborn and stable. And the Bible goes, no, you can be flexible and stable at the same time. That's really okay. You can have the ability to make changes and do new things, but still stay consistent to your values and the people that you support. And that's the kind of person that Joseph is. Um, when I prepare these sermons, I have no idea what's going on in the brains of people in the room, right? Some of you may be lamenting a lack of straightforward in your life. Some of you may be dealing with circumstances and you're like, this is not what we drew up. And I just hope today that Jesus' story gives you hope. That sometimes God is incredibly present in the complications. And they are not a sign that he's not with you. They're a sign that he's doing massive things in your life. And even this exile that Jesus experienced, even this time in Egypt is a time where God is telling him, I love you and I'm caring for you and I'm providing for you. And hopefully it gives us the perspective to be kind and loving when we have the, when we have the roundabout weird stuff or when our loved ones do or someone else in our lives to realize those are times for compassion and kindness and grace because often God is working in them to do incredible things. We just have to trust him to give us direction. All right, if you're new with us, uh, we do a question and answer period at the end of our sermons. This is really important to us. We feel like you need to have a chance to talk back at me. Um, and so if there's any questions about today's sermon, about anything I've said, about the passage, about the application, I would be happy to uh, answer a question. It's a great question. What's it look like? So uh, I think we've at times done this okay. Uh, for a while, you know, we were doing the thing where we were helping with... Um, this church years ago was helping refugees write job, um, 
resumes. That's what they're called. They were helping them write resumes and do interview skills with them, uh, which was really cool. We had a relationship um, that's kind of faded in and out. Part of the challenge is there's just not as many coming in now because of various federal policies that have changed. Um, the other thing that we can do and be more aware of, there is always concern for housing, but not even just housing, but also furnishings for housing. Um, when somebody comes in, it's like, hey, we, you know, the somebody like Dorcas who does great work with refugees will find them a space, but they'll need to fill it with um, they have, you know, a bed or something like that. I think there's ways that we can be involved in that. Um, I know this is a little bit my hobby horse, but being involved in public education so that the schools the refugee kids go to are the schools that your kids go to, I think is a way that you can be engaged and involved, and that really helps you be organically uh, part of that community. And some of it is, I think some of it is just being open. Like when we do the, the block party in two weeks, we're likely to have somebody who is an immigrant or refugee person come through and be fed by us, right? And having an openness to, hey, how can we bless this person? And how can we show uh, a home to the homeless, so to speak? is something that we got to work towards. But I don't have easy answers. I think it is helpful that places like Dorcas are around that do this professionally and kind of tell us where we can fit in better. I definitely wouldn't say everything happens for a reason. I think there is a... Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think there is a concept in Scripture that there is a degree of chaos. Um, I think if you get real nerdy with the way the ancient minds went, God is an, God a order, and creation is about God squashing chaos and making things ordered. So uh, ultimately, God does want order. Um, I think the bigger thing here is, um, first of all, Joseph is never teleported, Right. The story is not that Joseph and Mary woke up one day and they're like, whoa, we're in Egypt. We went to bed in Bethlehem. What happened? You know, like that is not what happens. Instead, God sends a messenger and goes, hey, you need to leave. And Joseph goes, OK, I'll do that. Even Mary's pregnancy, the angel comes and is like, hey, you are going to have a child. And Mary goes, I agree. I'll do that. Right. There's this interesting consent, so to speak in these stories where the huma humans work along God's path. Um, so I think there's that. I think the, the flip side of that is um, there is a big difference between God making you do something and God giving you a strong encouragement <laughs> to do something, right? So like with our kids, we want them to make good decisions, but we also set up certain boundaries and certain obstacles that kind of makes it so it's a little easier to do the right decision. You know, like... We don't want them to have a cookie at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, but putting the jar on top of the refrigerator is a really great way to make sure it doesn't happen, right? And so maybe I'm, you know, taking away their free will or not. I don't know. But I think, I think that's some of the balance. In the text, all of these characters choose to do what they are going to do. Certainly not God's will that Herod's killing babies, but that's the decision that he makes. It's Joseph's decision to move. It's Joseph's decision to go back to Nazareth, you know,